This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akitanol, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveler, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer to peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. Good news, Peers. Turns out spending time in front of the TV when you're a kid can actually lead to a bright future. Just ask our next guest, who went from watching videos to producing them for some of the most innovative tech companies in the world. I'm so excited to welcome Michael Peroni onto the show today. Michael is a co-founder and director of Vidico, a video production agency for large brands and innovative tech startups. Since its inception, Vidico has produced over 400 videos and obtained over 1.1 billion views. In this episode, Michael and I talk about the early struggles he faced when co-founding Vidico and how peers everywhere can learn to persist in the right direction. For those of you who haven't yet, make sure to take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story and tag us at The Peers Project so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible millennial entrepreneurs. Okay, without further ado, here is my conversation with the brilliant Michael Peroni. Michael, welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So, you know, you and I connected recently through one of your team members, Jenny, um, who, who's a fan of the show. And when I looked into you and all the awesome work that you were doing at Vidico, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, look, I knew I had to have you come on the show after having seen what you'd done. So I really appreciate you taking the time. No, it's awesome to be here. Yeah, there's a bit to get through, so I'm excited to unpack it all. Awesome. Cool. So look, for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. For sure. So I'm Michael, co-founder and creative director at Vidico. Um, We're essentially video content for tech companies. Uh, A lot of those videos are going to be the first thing that you see on a company landing page. Um, There might be shorter version that we use in cut downs for ads. At the higher end, um, we work with tech enterprises like Square, Amazon, Uber um, in developing some of their television commercials. So we recently had 
the Square Terminal um, television campaign run alongside the footy final. So lots of cool companies doing very cool things They're on the cusp of something new and innovative. And we work with a lot of uh, startups as well, working on technical problems. Very cool. I was just saying that the companies that you work with are huge slash just doing awesome things in the world. So look, I can't wait to dive a bit deeper into that. But before I do, I want to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing. And that is, what did your parents do? And how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? Yeah, for sure. So it's interesting. I think we've needed to have a lot of structure to um, do as well as we have. Like in this business, it's a fairly competitive business, uh, video production going into it. But you also have to have that creative side as well. It, it kind of resembles both of where my parents are at. So my dad's extremely structured individual. Um, he works in insurance. He's very dependable. He's actually in a CEO role. So he's, you know, had experience in management. So he's been, he's been entrepreneurial in that way. He's, you know, given us a bit of a playbook, at least in the, in the way of management and how to communicate with people, get the best out of your employees. So I think that's been really helpful. It doesn't do much on the creative side. So that, that helped on the extended so far, but it was really invaluable. Probably wouldn't be here um, without him. Then on my mum's side, she's a lot more creative. I was more so in the arts. So that's where, you know, our love for writing, our love for movies probably came from. So in a way it was, we got the best of both worlds. Mm. And you say we, you're talking about you and your brother, or you and your siblings. Yeah. Evan, Evan should probably be here with me. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> we didn't invite him yeah, today. <laughs> we're in a constant state of chaos. There's yeah. not really a, a dull moment of Vidico. So yeah, he's writing and doing and doing client work right now. But yes, I run the agency with my brother. Um, yeah, he's four years difference between us. Uh, he has a background in in screenwriting. I have a background more so in uh, broader communication. So again, that was a fortunate thing for us. Uh, we both kind of intersected at our passions and, and made a company out of it. Mm, it's huge. It's cool. So interesting. So look, when you guys were, you know, children, did you love to build things? Was this entrepreneurial spirit kind of always in you or did it develop a bit later? Yeah, I think, look, the love for video more broadly was always there. Like we watched a lot of movies. We would impersonate characters, put on voices a lot. So, um, you know, we were basically walking memes before memes were a thing. So, you know, that that was us. So the natural progression towards video makes sense. Make it into a business. It probably came on later in life. We, whilst we were both at university, because we were at university at the same time, there was just this want to do more outside of our coursework. You know, we did a web series project that ran for about a year where we got in everyone, you know, to, there was about 10 of us involved and we just wanted to do more. And I think that love for kind of project work, taking a step further, kind of morphed into this business where it was like, oh, hang on, we actually put some effort in there and something came of it. And yeah, I guess that gave us that initial step and in confidence to go and try and make a company out of it. Mm. Huge. And I think what's super interesting about you, as you mentioned as well, like your your design skills, your graphic design skills, I saw I saw that you studied at Shillington for mm. a bit and then went on to study um, comms major, Bachelor of Comms at RMIT. Mm-hmm. What was that time like for you there? You said that you got quite entrepreneurial and whatnot, but I guess what did it teach you about yourself and the world around you? Yeah, for sure. I think um, – when I graduated from Shillington, it was it was only a year there, so their course are quite short, intensive. It gave me a lot of skills. It probably set the foundation for being just involved in 
in brand and, and in this kind of tech startup scene with, you know, all the great brands that they're associated with. So that kind of opened my eyes in terms of what good design was. I think then going to RMIT, it kind of, it made my love for film a bit more specific and video more broadly. So that wasn't a thing actually when I was in Chillington. I was going to be a graphic designer, then it turned more into branding, then it went and stretched into video. So yeah, interesting kind of progression there. Mm. For our peers out there who, you know, maybe didn't have such a clear-cut understanding of this is what I'm actually really passionate about, this is what I want to go and do and have that same progression as you, you know, what advice would you give to them around figuring out what resonates most with them and then, I guess, going out there and achieving those professional qualifications? Like what advice would you give? Yeah, for sure. I think think there's a lot of, uh, uh, I think it's, a hard question to answer um, if you're, you know, straight out of the gate of high school. It's it's really difficult to know, I guess, is, is, is a short answer to that. You know, for me, it took me a few years to understand that, all right, this felt right. I think certainly being honest with yourself, like there was – there was a sense that I could have gone to Shillington and then gone into graphic design straight after that. But there was a feeling in myself that, you know, I needed to either do more study or I needed to find, you know, exactly what it was that really resonated and felt right. So I think my advice would be just honesty within yourself. Probably don't stop or don't settle, don't stop wriggling until there's something that really feels right on the level of, oh, I'm really good at this. And B, I really enjoy this because if you can do both of that, you can actually progress quite quickly. You can do work without being looking without looking at the clock and that's kind of the secret weapon, what you want to find heading into a career. Mm. How can we get really honest with ourselves? Mm. Yeah, I think I, there's a lot of pressures. So there's pressures about getting the salary, especially when, you know, your friends around you are going to do that. It's definitely not easy. I think... I personally think that there's a lot more value you can create for yourself, you know, if you take that extra bit more time in your early 20s to really nestle down what it is that you'd like to do, become a specialist, um, you know, really work on yourself and, you know, what education you should be receiving. Uh, So, you know, it's kind of, it's fighting the urge to just get it done, I think. And that's that's probably the common belief around us that you're, you're behind if you haven't graduated by maybe 21, 22, you need to resist that and go, you're probably going to create a lot, you know, 10x more value if you just work on what you're truly right for in those kind of couple of years, five years past high school. Mm. I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, so many of us look at our mates or look at who we're working with and go, oh my goodness, there's so much more further ahead. You know, I'm so behind. I don't like what I'm doing or studying or working where I'm working or whatnot. But often we just stay there. You know, we we don't take that move. And I think, you know, I think it's so important for us to have those reflective moments and to take that time to think, hang on a second, if I just if I just think about what resonates with most with me and just take everyone else out the picture, I wonder where I could be. And I think you're a prime example of that, which is awesome to see. Cool. Okay. So then after finishing uni, you know, you dived straight into um, starting the company with your brother. I think before that you did a bit of freelance work and whatnot. What was that time, I guess, that transition from uni and and those days to now we're going to start a company? Like 
What was that like for you? Yeah, it was pretty soon after. Mm. Uh, it certainly raised a lot of eyebrows from everyone around us, uh, probably excluding my dad. Dad thought we were just meant for it, and he was a, probably a big push. He he was analysing our personalities, and, and he basically summarised, you know, I know corporate, I've climbed corporate, I know my sons, and I'm telling you guys you're not meant for it. Um, so that was that was probably a big a big part of us just taking the step in the first place. Um, you know, we were pretty soon met with the reality of, you know, that starting a business is pretty bloody hard. Um, you know, that first year was extremely tough. Um, there was that sense that, you know, it could implode any moment. They're probably carried into the second year too. So, you know, you've got to be all right with that. You've got to be all right with a lot of failure. You know, maybe in, in, in hindsight, maybe it was a little too soon heading into it without at least, you know, one kind of... Uh, career experience or professional experience elsewhere at a larger company. Um, but, you know, it all worked out in the end, uh, luckily. <laughs> there was a few pivotal moments, that I think, decisions we made that really led to, you know, employing the people that we work with now and working with these big brands. So uh, it could have gone pear-shaped, but I think <laughs> we've come out of it um, and things are a lot more stable now. Mm. Yeah. I want to dive deeper into those early days. Yeah. They're so difficult. And I don't think I'm currently going through them now. So, <laughs> well, for the Pierce Project. Yeah. But, you know, I don't think we anticipate or we even kind of understand how difficult it is and it's going to be until we're there. Hmm. You know, can you talk us through some of those those early days, those really early struggles? Where was your head at? Did you want to quit? You know, how did you gain the courage to keep going? Yeah, talk for sure. I can, I can tell you through the war stories first. Mm. So it's like we were sharing – um, just one desk in a co-working space. So we kind of negotiated with the owner, hey, we're, we're just come out of uni, can Evan and I, my brother, um, share a desk to work on? So they agreed and said, all right, it's fine for the short term, but then, you know, a couple of months, just get with it and, and pay like everyone else. So we're like, okay. Um, you know, it was it was a struggle to get jobs initially. Um, I think our first job came from a friend that we had at the gym who I just rock climbed next to and he's like hey you know your brother told me you were starting a video production company and I was like yeah and he's like oh we've actually got a project and he worked for a pretty good uh, medical indemnity company and they you know he just took probably a bet on us on personality we ended up delivering the project we found a way we had no idea I think what <laughs> we were doing uh and maybe he knew it too but I think he just yeah really took a bet on our personalities we've always been people that just don't like delivering subpar work. I hate letting people down. And maybe you got a sense of that. Luckily, Evan's like that too. And I think that's been a big part of the success that we have had. Um, but that was obviously tough. That came two to three months after being in the office. Even after that one job, it got so bad that we started going, all right, in order to acquire customers, maybe you should just do a first video for free. No one would take it. We tried that two to three months. We even had a meeting with this architectural company in which this woman just... I, she was a GM and just totally ripped into me, said did in front of both Evan and one of their marketing managers said, I had no idea what I was talking about. So it was a pretty tough uh, situation. And just to, I think, keep going after that. Yeah, it probably required more grit than, than I probably appreciated at the time. Um, but I don't know, we really enjoyed it. So it's like at the same time, you know, again, you're not conscious of the, the minute hands on the clock. Uh, we could go, we found our endurance was pretty epic. You know, you can go for 12 to 14 hours a day. I don't know if, you know, other owners are like that, but, you know, it's it's fairly reasonable thing to do if you're really in line with what you're doing. So those were, those were tough times for sure. 
Oh my goodness. I love how you shared them with us. Thank you. I think, you know, I think, yeah, I think at least, you know, we as entrepreneurs, we underestimate how intense it is. And then I think others looking in, you know, people would look at you now and go, wow, he's worked with Uber. He's worked with, you know, there's the most incredible companies out there. And, you know, and he runs a team of people like it must, he's just special, you know. And I think dispelling that myth that it's like, no, 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 at the beginning it was that difficult and that tough. What advice would you give to our peers out there listening who are in that early stage? Maybe they haven't gone full, you know, they haven't quit all their jobs. Maybe they're doing a side hustle and it's really not turning out, but they know it's right. What advice would you give? Yeah, for sure. Look, I don't think you need to be special. Um, I think... I think the the hard work element, it definitely comes first. Just persisting. You've got to persist, though, in the right direction. And to do that, you need to admit that you're wrong sometimes. Um, you can persist and work hard all you want, but if you go in the wrong direction, that can be pretty catastrophic. Um, I think, you know, just reading a lot, just getting more opinions of people in the space, you know, so we listen to a lot of companies speaking on where video is going. You know, we were going out to... Uh, to tech pitches, people pitching their companies. So we were trying to get as much knowledge as we can and that really informed the decisions that we were going to take. So I would say be prepared to be wrong so you can learn. Um, And yeah, I guess uh, just keep being persistent. Um, You've you've got to be prepared to pivot though. I think one one moment that I should uh, probably probably be clear about is we didn't have much success saying video for everyone for the first two years. Then there was this one call that we had with a mentor in Canada that said, oh, you've worked for Xiaomi. Um, I think you guys should just focus on tech. Tech's exploding right now. This startup thing's massive. And plus, they've got really technical products that need explaining. You know, I think they're going to need you on this. Once we did that, everything just went very, very different. We really had a very specific message and, you know, things just, yeah, went up from there. So, you know, you need to look for those kind of growth insights. Sometimes they can be small and fleeting, but they can be quite transformative as well. I think you need to stay, though, in the game long enough to make sure that they come along, the actual opportunities themselves. I think you can exit prior to actually putting yourself in a place where you receive them. So there's probably about two to three key moments like that we've had in the last four years that were absolutely transformative, just took us to a new level. Every time actually felt like physically we were taken to a new level. So yeah, staying in the game so you can experience those moments is key. Mm. What can we do to stay in the game? Mm. (laughs) I'm giving you all the hard ones. Yeah, this is a tough (laughs) one. Yeah, I um, I think trying new things, definitely. Um, not being content, um, not settling and not feeling like um, you need to be stubborn or protective about what you've built prior. You know, you need to still see it as, I think even in the first two years, this clay that can be really rapidly molded and iterated on. I think if you get too precious about what you've done and said, look, I've done so much hard work on this, come so far, this is how it is. I think you're going to find it. It's a tough wrestle with the rest of the world. Um, if you leave yourself to be more open again, just be ready to pivot or ready to hear a growth inside and actually act upon it. I think that's what you need to prime yourself to do. Mm. Such good advice. I think, you know, I think so many of us can get stubborn and we can get like, oh, we've spent months working on this prototype or working on, you know, a specific 
strategy that we think is going to be the whole business. And then you go out there to market and it's like, oh, maybe not. You know, and I think so many of us can go, but no, it's what we built. We're going to back it 100. Yeah. Yeah. But I do. I think there is such value, as you were saying, in just kind of letting it go, in in knowing that it's gonna it's gonna be a long journey to figure out, you know, how you're gonna take things and, and where it's actually gonna lead you. Um, which, yeah, I think is so pivotal. I'm glad. I'm so glad we're we're touching on this and talking about this. Mm-hmm. Okay, so after those first few two years where it was really quite rocky and and whatnot, you know, what did you? What was what was a pivotal moment that actually went from oh wow this is like a startup that we're really we're not employing people we're just it's just us trying to figure this out to okay wow now we're looking to employ our first person our second our third when did that happen and I guess how did that make you feel during that time mm-hmm. so that that pivotal moment the first one was that realization we sh- we should focus on tech. We didn't really know why, you know, the core of it at the time, besides the fact that it was growing really quickly. So now that I have a bit more wisdom about it, I think that the true thing we tapped on was the fact that a lot of these startup founders in particular, I think as time goes on, you want to be more innovative in what you're doing. And you see that people are trying to top the topper, be more technical, be, be better than the rest. Though the larger step you take in innovation, there's more of a communications gap, which is left as a result. So you're here in the step that you've taken, which is innovative or the startup, and then you've got public markets, which are behind. Bigger the innovation, larger the communications gap. We found video is a really, really great way of closing that gap quite quickly. That's, that's the first insight. The second is that I think a lot of these technical founders, they're not born salespeople. They're really not. And even the more brilliant ones I've found that have actually gone on to really, really build great companies. I, they're not the type of person that can pitch their company in one sentence, hardly. And, and not saying that those people don't make it. This, you know, that's obviously a really important skill, but they're quite technical. They're quite introverted. They suck at high-level storytelling for the most part, and these are PhDs as well. So <laughs> it's like, yeah. So it's like that's another thing I think we were tapping into. It's like taking all this knowledge they've had, they've had, being able to communicate it in 60 seconds, 60 to 90 seconds, The third thing is that I think there was a lot less competition there, which is a key thing. So it's like video for everyone meant we were exposed to the entire market. There's incumbents that have been there for 10, 20 years. If you go to specific as, sorry, startups that were working on very technical products, not many people want to go there as far as video production concerned. Other people would run away and go, nah, too hard. Or it's like, oh, far out. This is a, a bit too technical. I don't really want to do this. We were kind of run towards it. We were like, yes, yes, yes. We want to work on AI, quantum computing and blockchain and all those things. So that was probably another key insight. We freed ourselves from a lot of competition, less competition, um, which made it a lot easier to, I think, obtain clients and customers when they came along. Mm. Super interesting. And I, I think finding that niche, that right niche and actually going for it and it really can, yeah, it really can just change where you're going and, and what, what you're doing in general. Something I'm curious to learn and to know is the relationship you have with your brother. And I think, you know, when you're building something, it's it's quite a stressful, especially in the early days, quite a stressful process. You know, how did you kind of manage to keep that, I'm guessing, friendship and whatnot, try not to kill each other, but then also, you know, be professional and actually build a company? Like what? What's that dynamic like? Yeah, totally. So I think the good thing about working with siblings is 
I think most of the scraps that founders typically have between them has been taken care of by the time you've probably reached 18, 19, 20. <laughs> so <laughs> that helped. So that got a lot of the garbage out of the way. Um, look, Evan and I like have a pretty special relationship. Most people that come into contact with both of us say that straight away. It's quite awesome. We're very like-minded. We're just lucky that we didn't only have a passion for video and storytelling, but this whole tech startup world as well, which was just super cool. Um, so, you know, we get on really well. We kind of have this hive mind mentality. Like there's a lot of, he can almost finish the sentences, you know, that I speak. That's, that's the level of intimacy we have, you know, in this business and our understanding of it. So look, we don't have too many scraps, you know, we're, we're probably pretty lucky in that sense that the ones that we do have, we can kind of tell each other if something isn't so good, or we can get uh, make progress quicker and just be quite honest with, you know, I don't think that idea is very good at all. Like, <laughs> yeah. I think we should go more in this direction. So, yeah, not everyone has that. I get that there's feelings and there's like keeping a level of professionalism between each other. Luckily, Evan, I don't need as much of that to progress in what we do. I love that. It's so it's so interesting. And I'm just imagining my sister and I in business and I just, all I can think is we'll probably chew each other's heads off. But look, I'm so glad that that's, you know, that's played out so well for you guys. For our peers out there listening who, you know, potentially have either looking to start a business or maybe they've already started one and they're kind of looking for that co-founder, they're looking for that person to go along this journey, this crazy ride with, you know, what I guess attributes, qualities in a person would you be looking for if you weren't working with your brother? Um, what would you be looking for when it comes to finding a co-founder? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um I guess I've taken it for granted the attributes Evan has had. So thinking about it now, I would just say the first one would probably be someone that works quite fast. Um, I'm yet to meet a slow person that's been super successful. Um, you know, fast in the sense of you know executing a task, fast in the way of coming up with new ideas and concepts, fast in the way that when you say you're going to do something, you're going to go and do it. So I think that's one, just working on your speed. Um, and I think speed's only possible if you're truly passionate about what you're doing. Um, I think the second is, uh, you know, depending on the attributes you have, I think there's a, a good complementary aspect to either the structured or creative kind of domain of person. So I'm, I'm not quite creative, so I'd probably look for someone who's a bit more structured in that sense, try and complement that. I think that's quite a fundamental thing and probably shouldn't overlooked. That's kind of even before skills. I think that's just a basic of personality types and more broader thinking when it comes to uh, one's emotional intelligence. So, yeah, I would think, you know, just look for what you don't have in, in a number of ways. Um, and I also just think someone who's an expert, someone who's clearly knowledgeable about the broad industry. It's not just about this specific problem, but has quite a high level awareness about what, what's happening around it is pretty important as well. But that's hard to probably get at a younger age because you really need to be in the game, like I said, for enough years to really get a grasp on how it all works. Um, so yeah, look, in that sense, there might be a right age to enter into it and you should be patient in terms of finding that person. In terms of finding them, I think, you know, uni seems like a, a good place, but also, you know, if you work in a professional sense, you know, and have been alongside someone at work for quite a long time working in a company, that makes sense too. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. And I think, you know, it, it, it's so funny. I, I don't have a co-founder myself, um, but I've, I, my first kind of 
employee, the person I'm working with, um, I almost feel like she is my co-founder. And it's so funny that, you know, for us, we met at, I was speaking at this gig and then she came up after and it was kind of quite organic and natural. But it's so funny people see us now and they think, oh my goodness, you must have gone to uni together or you must have done something. And it was like, no. But I think I think you're so right in saying that, you know, it is kind of looking at what are the networks that we have at the moment? Who can we turn to? And I think even more so than that, putting ourselves out there at networking events, going to industry function things, which sometimes seems really annoying and boring, but you're just making the effort. How much do you feel like taking that extra step outside of what you're kind of realm is or what you're comfortable with how much do you think doing that has played a role in where you're at today good question I think that I've had to do I've come from a creative background but I've had to be thrust in the world and the reality that you know five percent of this business got to be creative 95 percent of it had to be about business development and sales so um yeah not everyone you know is is really barely anyone I think is well equipped for that or is you know understanding of that reality when entering the business so that was really thrust outside of my comfort zone getting on calls often the calls 80 percent of our client base is from the u.s so getting on calls at really weird times you know midnight 1 a.m you've got to be cool with um so that was a bit uncomfortable to begin with but there was just so much excitement that paired with it and you know i just had this feeling that no matter what after the call i was going to be fine um, and that really just made me calm. And, you know, I knew the story. I knew that we provided real value. I was quite sure that if we were talking to a tech company, I knew in my heart that we could help them. So I think just knowing that to your core is is really important. It's the difference between kind of selling snake oil and someone that really, really is with it and, and believes in what they do. So, you know, I think all those those hard times uh, in 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 sales, speaking to people that were like 10 times more experienced than me, they're quite doable, I think, if they just see that you're being genuine. So Mm. that was my way to deal with it. Mm. I think it's so great that you mentioned that. And we've actually not talked about that so much, very much on the show, Mm. that idea that business is 90% business development. Um, And, you know, that is super uncomfortable for most people, even Mm. when you're a people person like we both are, you know, and I just think that, um, I think that there is such value in having a skill set in terms of a creative skill or what not to bring to the table and having that passion to back you up. But I think it really is overcoming that fear even to get on calls and to put yourself out there. What advice would you give to our peers out there who are struggling to overcome that fear of really putting themselves out there? Like what can they do to get better at this? Mm-mm. I think that I think that putting yourself out there, it, it needs two things. Sorry, I keep hitting the mic. Um, the first thing is you, you need to work on that charisma because uh, I think people are quite attracted to that naturally. How do you get charisma? It's more passion in, in what you're doing. So if there isn't, if you don't have charisma, it's really hard to sell. I think it's bloody hard. Um, so if you don't have passion or if, you know, mum isn't getting excited on the ta- over the table in terms of the, the mission that you've set in your company, I think the problem that you're solving isn't clear and isn't resonating with them. So that's the first thing. I think work on the charisma. You'll get there if you have a unique problem that you actually believe in. The second thing is being an expert, so product knowledge. And, and that thing, that's the easy part because that can be remembered. It's got nothing to do with attitude. It's really got to do with you remembering, you know, a 20-minute, you know, speech, which you know is perfect. So 
you know, I think the first one's a lot harder. Um, but if you get it right, it, it'll be fundamentally, you know, people will believe in you when you're talking and they'll be attracted to what you're saying. Um, the second one, I think you just need to know, know your stuff, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which, you, which you'd hope you would. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Oh, huge. Mm. Oh, so cool, Michael. Look, mm. I think as we come to the close of today's episode, there are a couple of things I still want to touch on. And the first one is your greatest failure. So we'd love for you to tell us about a time where you really felt like you just got it completely wrong and that it maybe potentially almost cost you the business or your role in the business. Look, probably that story I, I told you before, like when someone isn't going to take a free video, that's that's <laughs> that's pretty much rock bottom. Uh, it's pretty much rock bottom, especially when we had a portfolio. It wasn't like it wasn't like the we were missing too much. Um, that's when you kind of feel like, all right, you've 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 tried the last thing. Um, so that was pretty tough. And you know, not only having you know very little people respond to that in the first place, but then going to a meeting and getting smashed by someone who's twenty years older than you, um, who probably enjoyed it whilst they were doing it. That that was yeah, that was probably what failure really felt like. I haven't felt that since, which is great. Um, <laughs> we like to keep it that way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> things have been riding great since then. Um, but. Yeah, that was tough. So if you can get over a couple of those, um, I think that says a lot about your persistence and you have putting yourself in the best possible chance of being successful at least. Mm. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Oh, Michael, we have had a blast. Look, I mean, over the last four years with the company, you've grown it into a leading video production company specializing in that tech space. You know, you've worked with the likes of Amazon Web Services, Uber, DigitalOcean, Koala, Citibank, NAB, I could keep going. The list goes on and on. You've won countless awards over the years for your awesome work. And it's just clear and it's obvious that you're doing what you really care about and that the work that you do is making a tangible impact, which is awesome to see. So look, I guess one of my final questions is what advice would you give to our peers out there listening who have big goals, who have big ambitions, you know, they want to do something a little bit out of the ordinary and follow their passion, you know, but maybe they're just a bit confused as to where to start or don't have the courage to do so. What advice would you give? For sure. I think probably starting a business 10 years ago was really, really different to where, where we are now. Um, my dad was telling me that the word startup, you probably wouldn't even see that in the newspapers, you know, 10 years ago in Australia, yeah. at least. Um, though now it's like every second story. We love that success story. I think the, the actual, the actual path to starting a startup and getting your idea tested is actually not as daunting as one might think. And it's not, it's not a time period that you need to think is forever either. You know, it, it could be, you know, you want to test it for six to 12 months. That's the time frame you give yourself. That is not a lot of time in the grand scheme of things. And you could be really, really right if you succeed. Um, all I'd say is you'd be very surprised where that journey and even making that decision will take you. The people you'll meet, the things that life will uh, get that will throw your way. Um, and I think it's just putting yourself in a position where the wave will kind of catch you. Um, is is more important than I think uh, always wondering whether that was the right thing to do. So it's not forever, you know, try it for six to 12 months. You know, if it doesn't work, you'll probably be in a position where you'll know what to do next time. Uh, if it works, great, you're right. Awesome. I love it. 
So look, Michael, I want to take a moment to acknowledge you for the awesome work you've done and that you're doing, for the business you've built, for showing us that we can do fulfilling work every day and, you know, for being a leader of our generation. So for that, we really appreciate you. Thanks so much for having me. Really great show. Enjoy the chat. Awesome. Cool. So look, our final question is how we finish all of our interviews here at the Peers to Peers podcast. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? I think that there's, there's probably two layers. I think one, there's a huge confidence and I think a view of your own self-worth that comes from saying that, hey, I want to go and make this mark on the world and, and actually do it in some way. You know, when I look to the left of me and there's, you know, 10 such employees who are all really great, uh, kind of they're working, that's, that's a pretty epic feeling. So, you know, that does a lot for yourself personally and, and in trusting yourself that you can actually do something again in the future because, you know, you've, you've done what you said you were going to do in the past. So that's a really empowering thing. And, and I think you get to, you know, shape the world in your own unique way. You know, we're still by all stretches of the imagination, a small company, but, you know, we still get to get our work out to people and get seen all around the world. And, you know, there's tons of views that get attached to that, which is, which is super. So I think um, uh, that own kind of view of one's self-worth uh, really comes alongside uh, being successful in some stretch of the imagination. Yeah. Uh. Love it. Michael, ladies and gentlemen, where can people learn more about you and Vidico? Uh, I would head to vidico.com. On our site, we've got a load of our best work. Uh, you can hear our story in a bit more detail. Um, stop on by. It's this, people have said that um, they come there for maybe at a quick glance, but they get sucked into this wormhole, which is similar <laughs> to a YouTube binge because uh, it's just endless videos. So that's a good sign. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. We'll link that up in the show notes. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks again, Michael. We've had a blast. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played, and leave us a review. We produce with passion, and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then. If you need inspiration, look amongst your peers.